So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. And this is actually an, kind of an impromptu uh, uh, podcast. We are uh, sitting here. I'm getting ready to go on uh, kind of a tour of our development facilities uh, tomorrow. So uh, me um, and uh, Rock are sitting here, and he came in to talk about one of our development projects we're doing. And it, it's been a busy night. Me, Brian, and Connor are going on, on the tour tomorrow. Rock's sitting here um, going over a bunch of things through, like, taxes and development and what costs are on our other project we got. And we it also happens to be election night. So me and Rock thought, why don't we – we're sitting here talking about stuff, just jump on the podcast as we got elections like most people do up. And let's just do a Riff. total – Yes, we're going to talk about kind of whatever we want to talk about here, a uh, little different format, um, but I, I I hope you guys enjoy it. If not, just click to the next one. So <laughs> it's pretty easy, uh, but kind of give them an update on what you got going on, Rock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been working on this. Well, I guess, do you want to just talk about the, yeah, let's do the statesman let's deal? Do let's talk about it. Because we uh, had an article come out about it. So uh -huh. we, um, back in May... April and wow, May. it's been that long. Yeah, it's been like seven months. Wow. Um, obviously, like in the depths of coronavirus post, well, yeah, a month or two into it, I was looking for warehouse space for my company. You know, we, we've been outgrowing our space and, uh, um, you know, it's always good to, especially in, in our market, Boise Meridian area, like industrial space is like non-existent. Like the, there's only... Um, there's one real big private equity company that owns basically all of the land and there's a bunch of mom and pops that aren't really going to sell their warehouse off to you. So uh, I've been looking for space and I was on LoopNet, you know, just looking, uh, scrolling through the listings. It's Friday night. I'm looking and uh, I come across this building listed at 5.5 million. It's the old Idaho Statesman building. And I just start looking through the pictures, and I'm I'm looking at it, and the uh, uh, Idaho Statesman is a newspaper, big newspaper out of here. Idaho yeah, State. yeah, and uh, it's in downtown Boise. Like this is prime real estate, like right on the freeway. If you're if you're ever go going to drive into Boise, you will Pass see it. this building. Um, and I was looking at the building, and I'm like, man, you know, I I know that I could do something with this in my head. Like I, I was thinking that, and like realistically, that's not realistic at all. And I was just looking at it and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll just go tour it. You know, I looked at the the size of it and I'm like, whatever. And it seemed cheap to me, you know, 5.5 million, it's a hundred thousand square feet. It's downtown Boise, like four acres, right? Six acres, six acres. Jeez. It's massive. And, um, you know, for warehouse space in Boise, you know, I've put an offer in at 3 million on a 20,000 square foot warehouse. So 5.5 million, for a hundred thousand, like it didn't seem too crazy. Like that, that was my idea, my mentality going into it. Um, so I just called the broker the next day and I was like, Hey man, do you, uh, I own this company. Can I go walk through this? And he was, he was like, all right, let's do it. And we met with, uh, one of the, um, representatives of that, of the holdings company for, for the Statesman. And we just walked through the whole building, you know, and, um, it's a maze. It's a Frankenstein building maze. And, um, you know, as I'm walking through it, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, there's no way I need this building. And, uh, it's it, also, it, it's a maze because of how it was 
built. So there's office yeah. space. But um, one of the interesting things about it is like newspaper companies have these huge printing presses. Press rooms. Which yeah. these press rooms are ginormous. 40 feet tall. Like it looks like a, 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 a rocket yeah. a missile silo. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we're walking through this thing and I'm, in my head, I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. But here's the interesting thing about this building. It's zoned M1. And M1 zoning is industrial zoning that storage uses. For the printing for press. Yeah, that's what the press had. That's what yes. the whole – which is unique because you never see that zoning on places with office, right? It's either going to be CG commercial – like it's C-type C zoning or it's going to be office-type zoning. And, and most cities will never rezone because it's too much of a pain in the butt. And one, they don't want – industrial zoning where they have CG or other types of, uh, of, of that type of product. Right. So, um, I called like at the end of my walkthrough, I'm like, Hey, you know, like this isn't going to work for me, but I know a guy that this is going to work for. And I think we can do this. Um, but I'm not going to buy it for warehouse where we can convert this into storage. And, um, because I'd done the Reno project with AJ, I was like thinking this, like I knew, I knew the characteristics that AJ was looking for in terms of size, square footage, demographic, and what's unique about that area is like there's no storage around it. It's like very limited. It's downtown, landlocked. yeah. And in the thing about it is like we live in an area that is um, we're number one in the nation per square foot in storage. Um, there, most of our area in the county is so overbuilt it's nuts. But there's one pocket which is the downtown area. Which has, has very limited storage. Like, like yeah. there's probably three facilities. Yeah. And it's because they won't allow it to be built in that downtown area, and it's already all built out. And and on top of that note, there's no climate control. Yes. There's nothing. Yeah. So so when I call I called AJ like that day, I was like, dude, I, I think I found a I think I found a, a home run here. And um you guys came out like the next day. Yep. Like you, you, yep. Ron and Sam all came out the next day. I set that up back up at the broker and the same guy. They're probably thinking, what was <laughs> wrong with this guy? And um, we all walked through it. And I think you, you guys could pretty, see it pretty pretty quickly, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's fairly obvious. The location's right on the interstate exchange. Um, the population density, we did all our quick homework before we know the area well. We knew the supply that was on it um, and how the traffic works around it. Uh, but it's important to know that this was right in the time when, like, the world was over. I so, mean, yeah, it was. This is like April into May. Yeah, like maybe mid-May, and yeah. this building, like, just to give you guys context, going back four years, this building has been the company went bankrupt. They've been trying to sell it for years. It was listed at six point nine million, I think, in 2017, 2016. and maybe maybe a little bit after that. And my understanding was that it was under contract uh, numerous times, over $5 million. Yes, over five. Um, I don't know what – Over 5.5 I think was the lowest. Lowest, okay. Yes, it was, over, it was north of 5.5. And then corona happened. Yeah. And it seemed like when we were in a conversation, there was a couple companies interested. No one had offered. And um, one company in particular – I think we can say it. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. U-Haul is down the road. Yes. They were the other party that was interested in this building as well. Which is a self-storage REIT. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the broker wouldn't say that. Like, he, he, wouldn't, yeah. he yeah. would not disclose that at all. 
Um, but we were, I was like trying to, we were all, we, knew. we, we were trying to gauge him down. Yeah. And we kind of figured cause U-Haul's literally like a mile right down there. the road. Um, they, they have a very, very, very small facility, like right there. I mean, what is that? 20,000 square yeah. feet. Yeah. And it's mainly used for the moving trucks and stuff. So we kind of figured. And, um, also like I've been hunting like this type of thing for, uh, since I left working for yeah. you, probably a year yeah. and a half. So yeah. I've looked at probably hundreds of these buildings and, um, this one in particular, uh, you know, I only run into two companies when I, when, when I found a good one, cause I, I probably found five good ones and they always get taken by extra space or U-Haul. And yeah. it's, it's, I think it's me and they have two teams working on them and we're all just hunting them and, and they're, they're being converted at this point. The market's pretty much done yeah. uh, at least for what's been, um, big boxed, like you're talking Kmart's, uh, all the crawled over. Yeah. Everyone's crawled them and you know, there might be one or two good ones, but, um, it's pretty much shot at this point, yeah. but not like it was. No, it was there, the gold mine was about two years ago. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I called you guys and I figured, hey, like this this thing could work and it has all the characteristics, and um, obviously, like it's it, it's yeah, man, um, it's hard to it's hard to like gauge a project like just off the off the initial appearance of it. Yeah, but. We basically what we were, we moved quick. We moved quick. And two two it, weeks minimum. Yeah, I think that max. that was one of the. I think two things. It was under contract before at a million over what we came in at. So it was we came in in the depths of when this was happening. Corona. The the previous buyers left because the world was ending, and we kind of looked at this and said, listen. Um, the world's not going to be over. This is a valuable site property. The land alone was worth, I think, what we were paying for it. Yeah. And today, it absolutely, it's worth the land's worth more than that. And so we came in, and we we're just like we we've always tried to um, kind of keep our wits about us in very scary times, and that's played very well to us. And the value was there, and so we just went ahead and did it. And a lot of people. Um, at the time had left the market yeah. because this was, I mean, and I, you know, it's so easy to forget. It's been sh such a short period of time, but right. this is when like toilet paper shortages. Yeah. Th and this is when we thought there was bodies going to be just lying in the streets. Right. Right. I mean, this was when we expected coronavirus to be killing millions and millions and millions of America. So, um, we'd, gotten just past that a little clearer and it looked good so we just went and we we did it we put it on a contract we said we'll move fast and speed in this market when in times of chaos is beneficial oh yeah i mean u-haul had been looking at this for a while and i think they had had people going in and out i think we kind of ballparked the number that we could come in at just because based on that that reno project yeah like yeah, uh, we, we understood. Yeah, and obviously there are factors of this building that are completely different than a than a yes. square store. Yeah. It's thing's, office. It's yeah. multi story. It's you know there's there's a lot more going, but um, we we felt like we could understand such a large portion of the cost plus the revenue per square foot in kind of like a back of a napkin way of looking at it that um it, it was really going to play out well and we knew that during our due diligence period which although it was short we really felt that we could um judge 
that it, it would be good that and that we could clear that out. Yeah. That we would know before it came time. Um, and we had partners already set up. And this is a really key. I, I think we were set up in not only our education, we were set up in not understanding the building. We were set up ready to look and make moves, but we also had the right people in place contractors, different people that we knew we needed to get in there immediately to start looking and to start understanding the cost of it, that this would work and it would work well. The, the one contractor I, I keep in touch with the most from when I used to work here is the one guy who's been kind of leading the charge on this. And it's because uh, I loop him in on everything I'm doing. I'm, I, whether I have a, con, whether I have a, uh, like a house question or a warehouse question or you know, sometimes Connor will reach out, Hey, what do you think? And I'd always tell him reference this guy. Yeah. And that dude has been able to really pull together a crazy amount. Cause you got to realize we made plans for this whole building. We've built out the whole plans in like 45 days, which would probably take a normal, I mean, you'd be looking at four months. Um, so we were able to push a lot of the mechanical, uh, electrical plumbing, you know, uh, civil engineers, all these guys to do their plans and the architect him, like we sat down with the architect. We said, Hey, we need this in 40 days. Cause we wanted to get it done before the money went hard, which this project, once again, you're talking multi-stories, multi-use office, 900 units, it's, 100,000 yeah, square feet. This is uh, like, we had to build a second story into part of it. Yeah. We had to, it, we had an outside acre that yeah. wasn't even on the same plot that had to be built. We need multiple entrances. It it was technical. Yeah. And this was a lot for the architects to do. Right. And they really stepped up, stepped up. Like we told them, we're like, Hey, this is like, this needs to be your only focus. And like whatever resources you need, let's just do it. Um, and you know, we got the offer accepted, uh, re relatively soon after we offered it. And then we just started pushing hard into, um, getting all these numbers lined out. And like right now, actually I'm, I'm waiting to get the numbers from, our guy to kind of finalize everything. We, we, we have it probably within 85%, 80% certainty on our numbers. Well, when I say certainty, I mean, just like our budget, um, it, it could totally, uh, stuff can come up as we start going down the, down the road. Um, but for the most part, you know, uh, I feel pretty good about the project. Yeah. I think like yeah. we, we we're, we're set to close mid December and, yep. Uh, we'll have to pull permits, but like I said, we don't have to rezone the building. So Which, once permits are approved, it's, that saves what? Oh, geez. Half a year? Yeah, at least. So so we should have operating climate consultant. And control. takes out the uncertainty. Yeah. That's one of the big things. Like, if that the wasn't let us there, do that? we would have never put in this offer. Yeah. Um, and and now, um, I mean, realistically, we may, might have operating storage by like July, August. Yeah. Because the... The construction is going to take a while, but we're going to phase it in two things. We're going to do the internal first because we don't really need to go to design review. We can just start going uh, as long as we have the permits, right, which takes maybe five, six weeks. And then once we get into that phase two, that's – well, while we're going through phase one, we'll initiate phase two and start doing the design review with the city to make sure the external looks appealing. But you got to realize we're helping the city here. It's already been a decrepit building for years. Yeah. So, I mean – this it's and it's an eyesore, so it's a good thing that um, we're, we're kind of jumping in here and and, and doing this for them. So um, it'll be it'll be a, a a good win win, good location. The major hospitals there next to it. 
um, we're excited about it. And we're, you know, we talked about uh, before when we said we'd talk about it more in depth and we'd keep you guys updated um, on how it's looking and how we're making those decisions. Um, And I think it's an interesting way for you guys as listeners to be in hearing some of our developments and some projects that we're doing. I mean, we've looked at land developments that haven't gone through. I've got another land development that we're looking at, and that's for homes. Um, And we've looked at industrial space. So as these different types of developments and and investments are coming through, we want to keep you guys on board. Um, Do you want to kind of talk about the online side too and what's been going on in that? Yeah, I mean, we've been um, we bought this company uh, back in October. Well, yeah, a year ago, and yep. um, you know, initially the reason we bought it was because I had this idea on um, basically insulated cups, and you know, uh, we've spent quite a bit of time designing our own like patented products, and that's what that's kind of the year has been just designing new products and. Um, going into next year, we'll be just launching those products. And um, the initial company, like this is the argument that I have for acquiring companies versus building them is when you acquire a company, sure, you're out the cash up front, but you you instantly have generating revenue um, and profit. And with this business, when I was looking at it, and this is something, like I said, I looked at hundreds of building opportunities um, to do the conversion. I looked at hundreds of PLs and, and different companies that were for sale. And this one stuck out to me because of the low, like how little effort the owner was putting in and how much cash that the, the company was throwing off. And it was only a two products company, um, but it has a huge moat around it. It's very difficult to replicate this, this, this brand. Um, just because like most people that you would need to bleed a lot of money and there's easier companies to build than to, to go into this. That's why it's better to buy it. I hope that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, you, for, for what we're trying to do too, it requires a lot of capital, like just the mold for one of our products was 20 grand. Um, so I know that some, if you're smart, you're not going to go spend 20 grand on an idea that, that might not work. Like most people will spend five grand to test their idea and over time build up to that $20,000 mold. We had enough cash coming in that it's like, okay, let's build these molds. Let's, let's initiate this inventory. And all the while the company's doubled, uh, in revenue. So no product launches. All I did was, was adjust the marketing and, um, do the things that, that I, I, I figured would work, um, when we acquired it. And, um, over the year, I mean, we are up, yeah, by we've doubled the, the revenue, and oh, yeah. um, tripled the profit. Yeah. Um. I. And you know. I mean it. It's you know, it's a million million plus dollar company now that that we acquired yeah. for a quarter of that. Yeah. So and, and I have not dropped a product yet. That's the thing. Yeah. Like Once I start to drop the products, that's when you'll start to see that that um. Well, well, you know, our overhead will grow too. Yeah. So right now we have such low overhead; it's absolutely insane. Um, and it, it's the main thing is just me building the products out. And I had to work with this factory and, you know, in China and we're making molds and all these things. And it's very complex and um, I'm not an engineer. So I'm basically depending on their engineering team. So that's been the, the, the bulk of it, but right now we're down to colors and then we're, we're making it. So um, the, we, I expect it in the next 30 days to be like pr- produced and hopefully shipped. 
But, um, you know, I think what I want to highlight with this, too, is no matter how you look at both of these things, and they're great things to look at because these are both essentially the same thing. What you're doing is you're doing a value-add strategy. Yeah. Right? So you're taking something that exists, you're improving it for a better use, you're adding to it, and it, you are capitalizing on potential that's there that's not being utilized. Yeah. And um, in both circumstances, it's the same thing. It's lower risk, mm -hmm. right? There's a clear strategy. There's a clear understanding of how we're going to get there, the path that needs to be taken. And after you've done it a few times and after you get better at it, it, it just – it becomes very clear that path does, yeah. right? And that's, you know, as much as I would love to say that Rock, you know, could have just done this four or five years ago, you know. Probably not. Probably not. Didn't yeah. see it. But now when you looked at it, you already saw what it could become. Yeah. So when you came to us, you were like, this is a good one. Right. Well, like, yeah. I can see the future like already because you just know, you know, this is the actions. This is what we do. And this is the result. So the outcome was already obvious. So and you turned a small business into a million dollar business, hardly doing anything. And then after the new lines, the new products going to, you know, this is, you know, 10 this, million. yeah, 10 million. And hope then that'll probably happen in two years. Yeah. Um, from once again, something that was very, very small. Well, and the other thing here to note, though, is like. I could have not bought that company by myself. Like yeah. we bought it for $250,000. I don't have $250,000. So when I brought it to you guys, you guys had seen me build my own business from nothing into yes. And it was doing well. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I was going full time on it. Yeah. Um, and I think for, it wasn't like you guys were taking um, just a jump into the deep end. No, it wasn't gambling. Yeah. You weren't deep. And, and I'd been showing you companies for probably a year. Yeah. Like we'd looked at, um, probably three, like not seriously, but like you'd looked at the PNL, we talked to the broker and we just kind of like worked like just details. Yeah. And those ones were good that we didn't buy because they're management intensive. Like when I mean, what I mean by that is like, you don't, you, I personally wouldn't buy a company that like you could probably do it or whoever's listening to this. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but the reason I wouldn't buy a company with three employees in Wisconsin that has a 500 square foot warehouse and does 3 million a year is because I don't know if I could transfer all that into what I'm doing without interrupting what I'm currently doing and do it better than what the owner, previous owner was doing. But with this company that I bought, it was completely, uh, completely virtual. The lady's in Israel. She didn't know what she was doing. Yeah. I knew she didn't know what she was doing. And when I'm, she knew to the level of what her education was. Yeah. Right. But I could see gaps in what she was doing. And when I looked at the brand name and what it was, I'm like, this kind of fits this other idea I want to do. And then I showed all that to AJ and, um, we'd worked together so long at that point. He was like, um, yeah, rock could probably do that. Yeah. I think. And, yeah. and, you know, um, going into that, I'd never done an, an acquisition of a company before. So, um, it went relatively smoothly. And honestly, most companies in e-commerce, if you're good, you sell at a three X multiple. So meaning if you make a hundred thousand dollars in net income, that's factoring your salaries and all your expenses, you know, don't, you can't just not pay yourself and say that's three X. Yeah. Um, but if you make a hundred thousand, your company should sell for 300,000 more or less. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that tears out, like if you pass 5 million in revenue, that might, that multiple may go up and it might get based off other things, but intellectual property. Yeah. yeah. Other things like that increase right. the value. But when I looked at the company, the broker was selling it 
he had said it was a three X, but when I wrote, looked at the company, I'm like, this is a one X because he was including 80,000 in inventory and he was missing a bunch of stuff. And I told him that I was like, Hey man, you're, you need to re re underwrite this company because it's wrong, which, you know, some of you might be like, why would you tell him that? But it's like, I can't have a negotiation with somebody who doesn't even know what they're selling. And he was like, I'm not going to go tell her that. And I'm like, that's fine. Um, here's what I'm going to pay you. And so when I told him that amount, he's like, well, she both, he's, he was an idiot. Um, and, and I was working with website closers. I think they suck. And, you know, I might use them again, but my, the broker that was, I would never sell my business with them because they did not do a good job representing Representing her at all. And I I can only do so much. And I, I said it all. I'm not, I'm a pretty blunt person and it was just annoying to me. I don't want anyone to get ripped off on their work. So we made them a fair offer based on the numbers they provided me. And, um, you know, over time, what we really bought it, what we bought it at a one X when now it's a six X. And so that value discrepancy is the value add, but there was things that, um, you need to look for if you're ever selling or buying a business, like you need to pick your broker, right? right. You need to underwrite your own company. Don't let the broker underwrite your company. And you need to do research on these things because, um, realistically, she, she, there's probably 50, hundred grand left on the table if they really put the effort in and wanted to do a better job. And um, for us, it worked out really well. And over time, that company will become something that it, I don't think it was even in the realm of anybody's imag- imagination of when we bought it. No. Like what we're doing is we're shifting the entire business model. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that both things, uh, if, I think in anything, if you're taking any lesson out of this, it's value add. Like I could, when I started working for AJ, I'd read Multifamily Millions by Dave Lindahl, which is all about value add in multifamily. And I read that when I was like 19, 18. So I kind of knew going into the, like, I didn't realize exactly what you guys were doing. But when I started working here, I was like, oh, these guys are doing this at like a really like systemized level. And I think like early on, I kind of figured, I bet you I could do that with online businesses and just businesses in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have kind of merged real estate and business yeah. and you guys do a value add strategy through that. Um, and I think if you're going to take away anything from this, you need to create leverage through value add. And that's how you compound. Like that's how you go from 250 to a million in a year. You just notice the discrepancies in where you can add value. And a lot of that comes to the bottom line. How can you increase the bottom line? So maybe you double the MSRP on the product and you negotiate lower rates or you ship a container instead of airship. Like these are easy things. These yeah. are easy, easy levers to pull. Um, I think, you know, it, when you're looking at these levers and, in, in, you know, it, they're drivers. They're drivers of value. They're drivers of revenue. What causes that revenue to increase? What Where is that value there? And what is what is not being, like, what is not being tapped? Yeah. Right? What are they not doing? And you know how those levers work within that business model. Familiar, familiarizing yourself. We're at an advantage. Like you know, when Rock's talking about this broker, Rock was at an extreme advantage because he knew the business model and the uh, the drivers way better than the broker I, did. I knew that entire company yeah. better than the broker did. Yeah. Within within the first three three minutes. Exactly. And so then that's when you could see the opportunity that others might not be able to see. Yeah. And we have that all the time. We'll have a self storage facility that we brought to us, and we're like, you're not even valuing this right. You don't even understand where this value comes from. And that gives us a huge um, 
obviously opportunity. So um, un- is the more you can familiarize yourself with the business model through education and everything, the, that's the process of lowering your risk and understanding the upside. And value add is a component of taking something that's existing, just not having that uh, not having that potential that has been reached. But one of the big differences that I want to talk about is there's a difference in value add between the market doing it and you doing it. The market doing it, that's not value add. That's icing on the cake. That's icing on the cake. That's not, that has nothing to do with you. And I see a lot of times people will analyze businesses or they'll analyze investment properties. And the thought is this is going to be better over time and things are going to be better over time because the market gets better, which I'm like, great, that's true. But that has nothing to do with you. And that to me is luck. That's great if that happens, but I don't, I don't, I don't have a business yeah. based upon the hopes that things get better. I need to make my money, right? And then it needs to be measurable. I need to understand those drivers. And that's, that's, that's a big difference. Yeah. Well, and I think the value add strategies should be the underlying thing. But another thing to note here is like, I, like I said, I didn't have the 250. Now, if I had been saying oh, well, I'm only going to do this. Like, yeah. like I want to do this all by myself. Like I, that would, it just would have, I would have lost the deal. There were six people behind me on my, I got the LOI in that day. I told AJ, this is a good one. Trust me. We signed the, L- the LOI, sent it to them and they accepted it. So we got it under contract. I knew there was, we could have closed on it and flipped it for hundred K literally a week later. I know we could have done that. Um, because of how it was ran, but you got to realize you need to build your network and, and create trust with people. Cause that's where you create opportunities. Like these Idaho statesman building is completely useless to me. Yeah. It is absent. Like there's nothing I could do with the, if I had $5.5 million, there's nothing I can do with that building. Um, but, but I, like I can make the connections from my experiences and who I know and connect these dots, you know, and you kind of run it back and you kind of trace it, you know, anybody else, like everybody listening to this podcast could have looked at that building and it just looks like a piece of junk that isn't an opportunity zone, but because they don't understand the things. And for you guys, like somebody might be listening to this and they've worked for a a SaaS company and they understand how fin like financial SaaS works. And maybe they, um, they're working closely with an accountant on a side project and they can make the connections on a SaaS business model that would work for accountants. And so you connect your opportunities through your experiences. And I think if you can start to look at what your core competencies are and round that out, like it, you got to look at it as a bigger picture. It's not just about you. What are your experiences, your core competencies, your, the people around you, the, like, you know, you got to round the whole picture and then start to look at where gaps are in that. Um, because you guys may have never seen the Idaho Statesman building. Yeah. And um, I may have never been able to, like, with that cool, like, with the company, yeah. I, I would have just looked at it and been like, next. Next. And, can't do anything. But, but, and I think a lot of people do that. Like, a lot yes. of people look at opportunities and they say, eh, I can't, I can't do, do that. And in your head, you have to say, how can I do it? What, what people. What do I need to do to make this happen? Yeah. Money, like if money was no object and anything could happen, right? Yeah. Like a lot of my ideas are dumb and they don't happen. I'll tell you. Yeah. Like they're the vast majority of them, but it only takes one idea. Like you don't yeah. need a hundred of them to work. I need one a year. Yeah. 
like in reality. Yeah. And like that, the conversion deal, the statesman deal is the one, like, I don't need yeah. to really do another one for another year. Yeah. And, um, if you look at it that way and you say, how can I do it instead of, eh, I, and I do it too. Like I do that to myself. And it's funny cause I, being around AJ, I see his goals and I get to like a better, I, I kind of get to see like the inner workings of it. And I'm like, damn, I'm not doing enough. And, and I think about in my mind, like, how do I get to that next level? So a lot of you guys might set goals and they're, they're, they're smart goals. So they're measurable, they're manageable. And, um, honestly, they're just too easy. So what I did at the start of the year was I put, this is crazy. I put, I wanted to own $10 million worth of real estate. And I don't, I think I own it total value, maybe two, yeah. 2.2. Yeah. But I have debt. Like I have at least a million in debt on that mm-hmm. at least. Um, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this number. And my whole thinking around everything changed. Um, I start looking at massive warehouses, I, for my business. Cause that's where, that's where I could connect that opportunity. Right. I don't yep. need a, I don't need a 30,000 square foot warehouse for myself, but my company does. Yeah. And then I start looking at these other opportunities and I'm like, I don't need this building, but AJ could use it. Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at things like that, like your dots start to connect no matter how crazy your goal is. And yeah. you can't just do this. Like I want to, I'm going to be a billionaire. Yeah. And then in three years, like that's not, that's probably not going to work. You got to have action. Yeah. And, and it you, has to be, it needs to connect. It needs to connect. Exactly. It needs to be organic. It needs to be natural. And it's not, can't be done on an Island. And I tell everybody this, yeah. I'm like, listen, if you're out to do it by yourself, then you're just going to fail. Um, even like with what we did, I'm looking and saying, how do we achieve our goals? How do we expand in the right way? How do we get to these things? We started Cedar Creek Wealth. I'm going to invest with other people. We're going to do all and these you help other, other people and you help other people. And uh, that just skyrockets opportunities. And now we've got developments all over the place going on. Now it's, you know, when you change the way that you, 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 when you set the goals and you're okay changing how those goals are met. A lot of people want to dictate exactly how the goals come to fruition, Yeah, which I'm like, nobody cares about that. And that's the thing that you got to take out. Like nobody cares that you want to do something your way. You're just a spoiled brat, right? Like, what are you going to do for other people? How are you going to make this work? And if you have to change what you got to do to get your goal, change the way. Don't change the goal. Change the way you get there. It never works the way you want it to. Like never. All my goals since I was like 19 have been around X amount of multifamily units. Like everything was based around cuz cuz you that's easy to measure. Like if I have a if I have 100 units of multifamily property and they all net cash flow, let's say at $200 a month, well, then I, I know how much money I'm going to make. And so all my goals have been targeted around that. And, you know, then you start getting one duplex and then maybe you get a house and you see how slow it is. And then you think about this conversion deal. I didn't do it all myself. I couldn't have done it myself, but by piecing, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I don't, I didn't know if it could work. It still might not work, but all the things, all the pieces kind of come together and you still get your end result the way that long-term works out for you, but it's never the way you think it would be. No. And I think the reason is, is because of how in the economy and how these things are, are it's, it has so much to do with what you're giving. 
mm-hmm. and what you're doing. And it's so dependent on other people. And that's the beautiful thing about this, right? If your online businesses, if you didn't provide value to other people, nobody cares about your goals. No Let's one's going to buy your stuff. Nobody's going to buy your stuff. If you it, make a bad product. Exactly. It's got to be focused on other people. What can you do? And the more you can do, right, the more opportunities that you have, mm-hmm. um, the more that you sacrifice your time and your efforts to give, to do more, you get other things in return. And it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, you have people call you all the time and bring you stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, I can help you there. Yep. And and maybe you get compensated for it. Maybe you don't. Maybe it comes back around two years later, they call you up. Yeah. Like that 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 lady at the bank. Yeah. Calls calls you up, yeah. offers you something. And it's just from helping other people. Like yeah. and we should emphasize like you're not helping other people to get something. Like it's no. not this is no. not a it's not a long-term transaction. Isn't that's not what you're doing. No. No. It's just to help them. It, well, it's 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 a, it, it to me it's the practice of bringing value. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it, you look at the better you bring value to your family, your friends, those around you, the community, the more valuable of a person you become. Mm-hmm. And this value isn't economic only. That's not it, it, it's not it. it. It just happens to be economic benefits always follow. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you are always looking for what you can get out of it, you know, even we did for self storage um, income, we did the 15 minute phone call. Right. And it was, I was on the phone for hours every week with people. <laughs> and um, it was awesome. And then I had zero intentions to get anything out from any of them. Yeah. It was like, hey, we think this is a cool thing. Let's do it. Um, which I ended up spending like 45 minutes on average. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just, you know, it was massively time consuming. Um, and a lot of people are like, why are you doing that? You know what you're doing? But we were in touch with so many people and I got to help so many people out, um, that I think I understood more of the market. I understood mm. what other people were doing. I saw more opportunities. So it helps you in a very real way, even if it's not economical. I can provide better content, better value. I can figure out how to help other people because I understand wants and needs. So I can serve better. I can bring value better, mm. right? So many of us, we get trapped within ourselves. This is what I want. This is what I want other people to do for me. Yeah. This is what I want for to happen to me. Well, if you want to figure out how to develop a good product, a big, good investment thing, if you want to understand how to get cities to allow you to develop and what they're looking for, get out there and help people. It's not about your needs, it's their needs. Yes. And, and I think a lot of businesses fail because th- this is why a lot of ideas fail. It's not businesses because they don't become businesses. A lot of ideas fail in that phase. Like I've been in that phase where you're trying to figure out how to make some money and you're like, oh man, if I can make three grand a month, that'd be sick. And you make an idea, you make a product and then you start to sell and you're like, everyone's going to love this. I know it. And then you start to sell it and you realize nobody wants it. The friends that told you they'd buy it, don't buy it. Your parents don't even want it. They put you up for adoption. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but nobody wants the stuff. And then you think, well, why didn't this work? I think it's so awesome. And this, the, the whole point is of selling stuff. The reason people buy stuff is because they need it or they want it. If you can't make stuff that other people need or want, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter what you want. And there's too many people. Um, the, the easiest way to kind of approach that is, well, why? Like just just cite, like learning more about psychology and why other people – why are you buying the things you buy? 
you know, and that's why you see these like, at least I think this, this is why you see these direct to consumer brands, like the mattress companies and these like, um, the deodorant, the toothbrush, it's the toothpaste. This is, it's because it's an infinite need that will never go away. And these people are reinventing how it's delivered to the consumer, Gymshark movement, these watch companies, clothing, whatever it is, they're, they're taking what brick and mortar and old things, old ways and models have done, modernizing it and delivering it through the media you're consuming, Facebook, Instagram, Google. And that's why these new companies, Purple Mattress, whatever it is, are exploding is because it, it, they fill a need that's always been there just through a different way. And I think a lot of people try to reinvent the wheel. They just try to reinvent the yeah. wheel and redo a business model. Yeah. And two, you know, it's it's the stuff you know, like one of the other thing that I want to mention is we overvalue. I, so we overvalue our own value. Mm. Like we think that what we can do is worth far more. Like, I can't tell you how many times everybody was like, you need to charge a lot of money for those 15-minute calls. All right? And I'm like, listen, yeah, I could probably get people to pay. I could probably do stuff. But honestly, I need to give value, and this is an easy way for me to do it. But so many people, they get stuck in this idea that if I'm not getting paid for it, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Those people never go anywhere. That's so true. This idea that, no, my time is worth, you know, $400 an hour. So if you want to even have a conversation with – it just – it's like, okay, well, value doesn't matter if nobody's if, – if you can't even get it to the market, yeah. first of all. You're not presenting it well. And those – it's like putting – you know, picking up a penny or stepping over a dollar to pick up a penny, right? Yep. Um, you're missing the boat. And we too often think that our idea is amazing, so I'm not going to share it with anybody. Everybody says that. They never get their idea to the market. When their idea sucks anyway. And it sucks anyways. And they don't know that it doesn't because they're not getting feedback. Exactly. And they end up living in their own bubble. And they're like, no, I'm not going to do something unless I'm paid so much. I'm not going to do that. Right? It's like, listen, just get out there. Help people. Try to get stuff to market. What other people want to do. Work your brains out because your time is not as valuable as you think it is. And do things for other people. Yeah, I think one of the characteristics that that leads to success is being coachable. Like I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize that um you know putting your idea out there or offering to work for free and learning and actually rather than a lot of people learn by just taking in the information and then spitting back their opinion. You know, I I I have a lot of people start to ask me um, hey, I, I want to pick your brain, whatever. And then the the amount of people that take what I I can lay out a plan. I can I can make you financially free by just giving you these systems and these levers to pull. You know, if you save X amount and you invest in the right things, this I can I can map that out for you. But to be coachable enough to change your habits and to actually like dice like reverse engineer like you did to me. Yeah. Like AJ ripped my whole dreams apart. When I first met him, mm -hmm. he was like, he was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Um, that idea is not going to work. Like I, it's not going to happen. And you like really like broke it down for me, which when I, you, when you build your, your reality upon like this dream that you think it can be. And then some dude comes in and says, no, that's not going to work. Like a lot of people will viscerally say they'll, they'll, um, 
Screw you, that. you're a hater. Yeah, they'll attack it and go mm. into their idea more. Yeah. But to me, I was like, dude, I don't even care if I'm right. I just I just want my idea to like I want yeah. to, I want it to work. I want the result, not not how to get there. And um and what what I mean by result not not how to get there is I don't care about being right. I'd rather just know the way yeah. so I can do the way. I'd rather achieve. Exactly. And um, I'm bringing this up because I've had a couple conversations recently and it's that, that's been the experience is like, I can tell you what you're doing, you're going to do, but you're just fighting me and I don't need to argue with you. It's not my problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think that if you can be coachable and really try to um, pick people, pick, pick people's brains who actually have done it, like don't just yes. look like they've done it. Yeah. Yes, then, that's a very important. If somebody, you know, you don't, you need to take, you need to take advice from the right people, and this is really important. You need to know who to listen to and definitely who not to. Yeah. Um. But when when somebody's telling you something won't work and they can show you why it won't work, um, to most successful people, they're not hating on you and they're not haters because they, they don't care. Not at all. And it's like, okay, well, here's why it won't work and here's what's going on. And if you want to take that, great. If you don't want to, whatever, I don't care. Like just an example on that, like my margins were off. I didn't understand uh, what margins were needed to grow a business. And AJ made me do a PL. Like some guys on the internet might just tell you to give them their money, give you yeah. their money and they'll invest it for you. Or they'll tell you that you just need to work harder and do yeah. it. But like, that's not going to help you at all. No. You need to understand why it's you're not, not working. making a profit because your margins are negative and you just don't know the f- equations and how that works. And how to fix it. Yeah. And like, it's, it's not complicated, but you just need to be coachable enough to understand that it's not woo woo either. It's going to get you there. You need to know, like, and be coachable and like learn from the right people. Exactly. And, um, honestly for me, I, I welcome, you know, criticism. I want to know why things are not going to work. So many of us were adverse to criticism where criticism is your best friend because it shows you the problems that way you can fix them. Yep. If you don't know what the problems are, then you're screwed. Great example. Well, and not only this, think about how much money you could spend on an idea that is horrible. This dude, the dude you're talking to might know that nine months, like he could save you nine months of, of your, your time. <laughs> I, I did this with a friend recently. I showed him exactly why his idea won't work. And I told him exactly how it entered that market. And I'm not telling you that because I think my idea is better. I'm just saving you the 12 months that I already wasted because I've done that same mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if like when I'm seeking information from people, it's not so much about I'm trying to be right. I'm just trying to get there. I'm trying to shorten my time frame so that I can do more in the time versus do loops. You know, you don't want to be stuck in a long feedback loop, which is something AJ talks a lot about. Yeah. You got to be able to close those off and really take care of those problems faster. Um, inactivity is it, you know, there's difference between activity and progress and you need to understand that. And that has to do with those feedback loops and the, and those, uh, that criticism helps you identify areas to close that, to progress and to continue on. So no, it, it's, that's, it, this is such an interesting subject and dynamic on how to understand which ideas won't work and how to keep going and never give up, but change. And that's the key. Yeah. And two, you're not, cha- you're not giving up on the goal. Although the business that you started, right. Your paper company may not work. Yeah. 
Well, if your goal is simply to have a paper company, then I guess go for it. But you may be very disappointed because nobody cares that your goal is a paper company. Yeah. If people don't want paper from you, you're going to fail. Um, and so you need to understand that. And you need to also be okay with that. It, 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 that can't crush you, right? Um, and so it's really important to understand the things that are no-goes and when to stop, when to quit, right? And move on to something else to progress. Yeah. Um, but anyways, well, another thing, uh, we're posting a lot on developments that we're doing moving forward. We got a lot of these businesses we're talking about. Um, it's election night. So I thought I might just touch on that real quick. Yeah. First and foremost, um, as far as elections goes, people are like, Oh, what are you going to do or anything? I'm like, listen, I worked all day. I hardly had any time tomorrow. I'm up. Um, early getting ready. I take off at eight. I'm flying to all our development sites all next, all this week. I'm just packed busy next week. I'm packed busy. Whoever wins, it means nothing to me Yeah. from the standpoint of, yes, I have my thoughts and opinions on who I want to win and what that means and everything, but I'm in control of my own life. Yeah. I'm doing what I want to do and a president's temporary. And there just seems to be a lot of angst and everything around it, which I get, but really it's way more important on what you're going to do when you wake up than it is important in who's sitting in the presidency. Seat. Yeah. No, none of these guys are going to come save you. And no. Doesn't matter uh, who wins. And you you could see their policies can flip flop every four years. So yep. it, 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 you, it makes zero. I mean, it, it does make an impact. And I think socio, like socially, it's going to make more of an impact. I think yeah. just because the tension seems to have gotten a yeah. lot more severe, but I think that's perpetuated by the media, not necessarily yeah, the people. Like, I think a lot of people. We're There's all, way more common ground. I don't than argue with my neighbors. Just, no, you know, no, I see them on the media. The media is arguing, yes. you know, and I think that's the vast majority of people. Um, obviously, there's outliers, but um, we're watching it right now. It looks like, where are we at here? I think Biden's 129, Trump's 91. And how many states are but even? But see, that's this is Fox. I'm on, I got 270 to yeah, win we, up. And, we've got Fox and you got to watch CNN at the same time because yeah. they're so freaking by skewed. They're skewed. I, I'm, I'm on 270 to win.com. Biden's uh, 115, Trump's 120. It's showing Trump winning Florida, which is a, the, obviously an important state if if for any of the candidates, Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan. Um, and Sam was saying Texas is a battleground state. Yeah, which is crazy. Uh, but it's looking Trump. It, it's one of those ones that I'm like, listen, I, I don't I have no clue. And I've had no clue. It's been like yeah. because I feel like this is such a different time where information is so misleading today. Yeah, and you it's can't so trust any hard of this, to understand stuff. because it's just like everything is so skewed. People can't have real conversations about real problems, mm -hmm. and we talk about when we were everything we were just talking about on like identifying problems, right? Changing them and turning them around, um, and working them out. You can't do those things if we can't have a conversation. Yeah, and we can't talk about it. Well, I think a lot of people are just. Um they don't want to have conversations. They'd rather it's an emotional subject because it's gone from policy to personal um, in terms of how people view it. Uh, and this is important. Like you need to watch the media you're t you're taking in, you know, and who yeah. you're around. A lot of people put themselves in echo chambers without realizing it. Oh, and and two, so many people we we just we take what is being said 
as that's what we need to do, or we're looking for somebody to have an opinion for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, geez, if you're doing that, it, which is the vast majority of all of us. I mean, we don't even realize we're being manipulated. And you need to look at your life and you need to look at, there's no right one way solid. I don't care Democrats or Republicans. They both have their flaws. They both have problems. Good advice you gave me though, is look at the people's results. Yes. Like when I started doing that in my life, I literally, like, it's crazy the credit you'll give somebody because of time you've known them. But when you start to look at their results and you say, well, I don't really want that life. Yeah. Maybe I'll stop doing what they're telling me to do or stop. Like maybe it's not what they're telling you, but it's what you're interpreting of how they expect you to live. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. Result-based decision-making is huge for me. I can't tell you how many times I'm giving advice and people are telling things that I do that are stupid or wrong. And I'm looking at their life and I'm going, I'm confused here. Yeah. Because Whose this results? is working for all this, you know what I mean? But yet you're saying it is, and that's why I fundamentally have a problem with socialism. I don't even care. That's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. There's no data that supports it. Everything that is wrong, right? Capitalism has lifted everyone out of poverty, on and on and on. It's just a dumb statement when you look at the actual facts and the results and what is being created. I mean, the progress that we've made in the last two, three hundred years is unlike anything the world could have even imagined yeah. as far as helping people, saving people, rights, on and on and on and on. So, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at the result-based decision-making in my own life, before I question anything that I'm doing, I'm questioning what that information that I'm getting and I'm questioning who's giving it and why they're giving it to me because if what's working for me and what I see working from other, others, then it, it's just that doesn't make sense. But we don't do that. Yeah. We, you know, people, we, we take marriage advice from celebrities that have been divorced four times. Yeah. It's like you, it's just some weird world that we live in, or you're taking financial advice from people that are broke. Yeah. Or you're taking, you know, on and on and on. And it's just like, you know, you're taking parenting advice from people that have horrible relationships with their kids. Yeah. And you're kind of going, you know, eh. it, why, why are you doing that? Well, and it's weird how much credit, like when I, I, I didn't realize when I, how much credit I'd give people, I, I wouldn't want the results, but I would give them credit still. Yes. Just cause I, I, there was some base level of respect, which I, you know, I still have for them, yeah. but I'm giving them almost credit on how I should live my life. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. This I don't is know how to describe it. Academia to the T yeah. because they're the teacher. We give them credit. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't, mean, doesn't that mean they're mean right. They know. And it doesn't mean that they know. And when you look at people that practice, not just preach, oh, and yeah. they get the results from it, that is totally different. Yeah. And that have their heads down and that they're going and they're producing the, the results instead of theorizing or talking or giving just opinions on it. Um, and that can shape your life. And so understanding this flux of information, where it's coming from, how's, how, how it's coming, that's really, really important. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. It's a good podcast. Good podcast. Hey, everybody. Election night's going. Hope you're all uh, enjoying the chaos. And hopefully tomorrow morning the world doesn't burn down. And with that, it's not going to burn my world down. I'm just going to keep going. Exactly. So we'll talk to you all later. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number 2freedom.com 
or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.